Hello and welcome to McLean's on the Hill. I'm Cormac McSweeney, Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News and Rogers Radio. That's it. The spring sitting of Parliament is complete after five months of debating bills, arguing amongst MPs, choosing a new leader, and some clashes between the Senate and the House of Commons. We kick off our show with a special McLean's panel to look over the highlights and lowlights of the spring. Canada's mission in Latvia is now underway with NATO troops massing in Eastern Europe to send a message to Russia. McLean senior writer Paul Wells has arrived back from his trip to our Latvian base. We'll hear from him as well as some clips from his interviews with Canada's Chief of Defence Staff and the Secretary General of NATO. We're about a year away from marijuana becoming legal in Canada and a group of Canadian medical associations have released new guidelines for users and doctors to lower the risk of cannabis use. The lead author, Dr. Benedict Fisher, is here to tell us which consumption methods people should avoid and how long users should wait before getting behind the wheel of a car. And finally, the Trudeau government marked National Aboriginal Day this year by dedicating a new building to our Indigenous peoples. But not everyone is pleased. We speak with an Indigenous architect who says the old U.S. Embassy building is a bad choice. For your politics, for your power, welcome to The Hill. Well, the spring sitting of Parliament is finally over, and we're starting off our show this week with a special edition of the McLean's panel. Joining me now is McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes and McLean Senior Writer Paul Wells. Thanks very much for being here, guys. Mm -hmm. Good to be here. All right, so let's talk about the highlights and lowlights of the spring sitting. John, actually, you wrote an article uh, basically adding some criticism to almost every little accomplishment that the you prime minister it, put out in his statement. You make it sound so petty. It's so, so petty what I did. <laughs> well, let me be generous and, and talk about two things I think went well. The public safety minister, Ralph Goodale, delivered a national security review that got good good marks. It was more ambitious than people expected. It created a new agency to oversee uh, all of the different sort of spying and security agencies of the government, a bigger undertaking than people thought. The people we rely on at McLean's to analyze this, uh, Kent Roach of U of T and Craig Porcasey at, uh, at U of O, both thought it was good. So there's a positive day. And maybe slightly less expected, Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, steps up. He's a politically wounded minister based on some embarrassing stuff that happened to him this this year. He's got a huge undertaking, and he delivered a defense review that it's more debatable than the National Security Review, but it was a pretty solid document. Most of the, Again, most of the people I talked to, guys like David Perry, who were skeptical, end up saying, it's pretty solid. It looks like a plan. There are a bunch of political questions, but basically... You know, the kind of work that is uh, sort of respectable, solid policy work. All right, Paul, do you have any highlights from the spring sitting? One may be coincidental, but it's awfully handy for any government that's looking to be re-elected, which is that the economy is growing great guns oh, yeah. for the first time in a long time. Average 3.75 over the last three quarters. Uh, before the budget came down in the spring, I spoke to someone who works for um, for uh, Bill Morneau, the finance minister, who said, we can't catch a break. If we just had a little mm-hmm. bit more economic growth, we could uh, amend some of the plans we have, we could accelerate stuff, we could bring in new th- things. At the time, they couldn't, and they brought in the most extraordinarily rehashed budget I can remember in 23 years on the Hill. If this keeps up, first of all, it, it kind of won't matter what's in the budget because people will just be in generally a better mood than they have been for a while. And secondly, the, the government will be able to um, uh, do some fancy new stuff as they start to approach the next election. And another thing that's interesting, uh, and, and, it, and it's extra parliamentary because I think, frankly, the work the Liberals have made in the House of Commons has been pretty much a hash. Uh, but Trudeau gets out a lot uh, as uh, the most uh, photogenic and well-known 
sort of Canadian political personality to um, uh, seek to attract uh, foreign investment uh, mm -hmm. uh, at a retail level, meeting with Mary Barra, the president of General Motors, meeting with people from high senior executives from Google and other big companies, and, and encouraging them, frankly, to invest in Canada instead of in the United States. Um, uh, these are the sort of things that are going to pay dividends um, uh, in the economy, which is the number one predictor of whether a government's going to get reelected or not. Hmm. Any lowlights for either of you two? Yeah. Lowlights. Um, well, I, I guess I don't, I'm, I'm not going to call this a, a lowlight, but I do think that another economic story that I covered was Navdeep Baines, the innovation minister, announcing his supercluster strategy. And this was this competition they're having where the government's going to fund by the end of this year, so it'll help in the fall, three to five superclusters, some kind of innovation, innovative clusters. And most of the reaction I heard to that was skeptical. People think, how can they pick the right cluster? How can they choose just a few? How can they balance it regionally? If they do balance it regionally, will that mean that they've allowed politics to intrude on good economic thinking? So there's one that I'm not saying it was a, a bad day for them, but it was a, certainly an inconclusive day when they launched that strategy. I'll be interested to see whether that you know, works out for them or not. Paul, what do you got? Uh, it is not clear what the innovation minister uh, uh, plans to do to uh, increase innovation. It's not clear why we have a science minister. They're going to name a chief science advisor this summer. Uh, the heritage minister seems to want to do something to help the media industry. Uh, and yet every concrete idea that comes forward, whether from the public policy forum, whether from the heritage committee is shot down immediately. Uh, they have not yet, after two years, named a single officer of parliament. Uh, their last attempt to do so, uh, Madeleine Mayer for, uh, for uh, Official Languages Commissioner, was a fiasco mm. uh, and had to withdraw her uh, candidacy in disgrace after revealing, incidentally, that she had uh, her interview with the Heritage Minister for the job had been a telephone interview. I could go on. <laughs> uh, in general, in a lot of these cases, they're paying the price today for uh, overly, uh, overly uh, ambitious and sort of airily conceived election promises two years ago. It, a lot of stuff seemed easy at the time. Anyone could have told them it would not be easy. They're, they're, they're slowly learning that, in fact, it not only is, is a lot of it not easy, it can't be done. All right, so before we look ahead towards the summer and the fall, let's talk a little bit about a new political leader that was appointed uh, by their membership elected. during this yeah, elected. elected. Sorry. <laughs> They, they chose, okay. they chose Andrew Scheer to take mm. over as conservative leader after Stephen Harper and Ronna Ambrose in the interim. Uh, how do you think Scheer has performed so far, although it's only been uh, maybe a month or so since yeah. he was picked? I think he's been okay. Uh, he, he, you know, he's a well-known quantity around Parliament Hill, right? I mean, this is a guy who was Speaker of the House and people know who he is. So you expect him to be reasonably sure-footed in the House and he has been, but nothing spectacular and we haven't seen him yet make the kind of appointments and give assignments in his caucus. They'll give a sense of how he's going to have things sh shaped. So I think the jury's still pretty much out on Mr. Shear. I don't know. What do you think, Paul? Previous Green uh, Party leaders who ended up mattering uh, in the history of their parties did so by surprising early. Uh, this is, this by is, Green Party leaders, you mean like not, long, not yeah. Green Party, but... Uh, inexperienced. Rookie. I mean, right. this is way before my time Got even, it. but Brian Mulroney in 1984, oh, yeah. uh, backing the Francophones in Manitoba on the Manitoba schools question, uh, essentially shattering a legacy of uh, conservatives as uh, not caring about, about the French-Canadian fact and paving the way to winning 74 or 75 seats in, 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 in Quebec. Um, uh, Stephen Harper, a little later in his own career, reaching out to Red Tories and the Progressive Conservative Party mm -hmm. and then to Quebec nationalists and going so far as to recognize Quebec as a, uh, a nation within, within uh, United Canada. 
the one question I have with Andrew Shear, who's a nice guy, who's well liked, uh, is does he have it in him to surprise at all? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good and point. Uh, and I, I think if he can't, then the people who would always vote conservative are going to vote conservative, and the people who would never vote conservative will not be inclined to give the party a second look. Hmm. All right. So looking ahead, then uh, aside from what Andrew Shear has to do, which is try and surprise us. What should the government be on the lookout for? I mean, they ended the spring sitting in a, in a big clash with the Senate and the House of Commons. Mm. Can we expect more of that in the fall moving forward with a more independent Senate? What, what are the other challenges that uh, they need to prepare themselves for? Senate's a good one to, to look at, although it's funny. When I think about the fall, I, I, I can't help but think about the international picture. Sometime in September, we're going to get a meeting in Canada of, led by Canada, EU, and China on climate change matters. And this was part of the the late spring government sort of about face to sort of position itself as not so cozy with Donald Trump, right? The idea being that Canada is looking further afield for allies and partners. And, and I think that'll be the first big, looks like it's shaping up as the first big fall sign of, of you know, making, making that feel real, you know? So Canadians will see their government with the Chinese and the Europeans rather than with the Americans talking about a big international issue. And I think that could go quite a distance to setting the tone for the for the uh, for the fall session uh, the rubbers hitting the road on a couple of big federal provincial issues uh, legalization of marijuana right. and uh, climate change uh, bringing in the green plan which which is needs to be in place and uh, and, and and operating in uh, 2018 which is nearly tomorrow what we've seen from the way that the government has handled uh, the pot legalization issue is that they're awfully good at alienating the provinces, not listening to their concerns, dumping all the hard problems in the province's lap, trying to get the credit for the, for the, for the progress while letting other uh, jurisdictions do their homework. Uh, that is an ex that's a toxic way to carry on major multi-level governance reforms. And pot was pretty small scale compared to what they're going to try and be doing uh, on, on climate change. Already they've, they've sent out strong signals that what they're going to do with this $2 billion climate fund that they had campaigned on in 2015 is to withhold it from provinces whose behavior displeases them. That'll be fun. <laughs> and actually, it'll be interesting to see once we see the, the, the climate change stuff uh, crystallizing, each province has to come up with something that meets Ottawa's standard in order for this to go forward in 2018 or the federal government says it will impose its own climate change policy. So it's not just that the provinces have signed up to say, yeah, we'll do it. They have to do something that, that meets the Ottawa's conditions. And it'll be interesting to see whether it's only two provinces that are offside or, or several by the time that works itself out. Prorogation, cabinet shuffle, rumors and speculation. Do you believe any of them over the summer? I think they could do it. If I was guessing, I would say smaller cabinet shuffle rather than larger one. But, you know, I question the, the, how much impact this kind of stuff has on a political level. Cabinet shuffle can be a practical matter. Prorogation would be a more symbolic matter to have a, turn, a, turn a new page, open a new chapter. I'm not sure the general public really cares about that. It, may, it, might, it makes a, an impact on Parliament Hill, but beyond Parliament Hill, I, I don't think so. Paul, is the timing right? Prime ministers are permitted to change their mind uh, on this sort of thing, but I'm told at senior levels that uh, Trudeau has no uh, plan to prorogue or to do a major cabinet shuffle. They feel like they're in the middle of stuff, not near the end of a chapter in time to start a new one. All right, excellent. Thank you very much. McLean's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Geddes and McLean senior writer Paul Wells. Still to come on McLean's On the Hill, Paul Wells, the Chief of Defence Staff and the Secretary General of NATO talk about Canada's new mission to deter Russian aggressions. We speak with the lead author of the new guidelines to reduce the risks of marijuana use. And we hear from Indigenous architects who are not happy with the government's dedication of a new Indigenous centre.